Good morning, Dr. Rubina Jasani. The focus of today's conversation really is the impact of the coronavirus on migrant women. Yeah. So I'm really happy that you're able to join me today to, to really think about the impact and the issues that arise. So over to you. Would you like to say a little bit about the work that you're doing? I have worked uh, on issues of you know, embodiment, gender, sexuality, uh, but issues of identity um, uh, as well. Uh, tying into the idea of super diversity in Manchester, I have been working with, um, I have a project with a community organization Called WAST, which is Women Asylum Seekers Together, and it's not a it's not a project that I have on my own. Um, it's a project that I have with um, an, a fellow academic, Jenna Marie de Lopez, who now works for uh, the University of Bradford. Um, and uh, you know, we were really interested. We are both anthropologists. She works on Mexico. I work on India. Uh, and we were both really interested in, you know, this whole idea of giving voice in anthropology. Having worked in Mexico and India, in, you know, I work on violence, she works on maternal mortality. We felt that sometimes when we do intimate kind of fieldwork, women feel like, you know, we are taking their stories, which is sometimes the only thing that they have. So we wanted to change the narrative and we wanted to change um, the ownership of knowledge and we started looking at something called fear ethnographic research methods which is really about collaborative research uh, knowledge production um, and and training them to tell their own stories so that's how i started working with migrant women in manchester um, and i also am associate you know because we also spoke about activism and my you know me being a migrant woman when I moved to Manchester, I was looking for an, you know, activist home, uh, which where a lot of my concerns around race, gender, sexuality, you know, come together. Um, and uh, I actually uh, found Safety for Sisters, which is also an organization with works, works alongside WAST, which works with survivors of um, domestic violence and women who have no recourse to public funds. After COVID-19, we have been working to rally the government um, and the local authorities. We wrote a position paper um, on the impact of COVID-19 on women who have no recourse to public fund. And uh, we have been rallying very strongly to um, you know, get the women who have no recourse to public fund recognized within you know uh, the larger package of that has been announced for survivors of domestic violence in the country. I'm aware that um, the second reading of the domestic abuse bill was saying that actually migrant women were not being recognized within that and that there was yeah. a need to extend provision so that women that had no recourse to public funds could actually access refuge space and, and yeah. financial support and housing. Um, so in the work that you've been doing with women in the community, what, what has their experience been? So I think, you know, uh, like, you know, the, na the national figures, we've seen, you know, a exponential rise in um, the demand for safety from women. And in the understanding of safety for sisters, this is like a gross underestimation. Uh, for various reasons. A, because, you know, women who have no recourse to public fund 
migrant women are scared of being sent back to their countries yes and the problem with a lot of migrant women is they are not looked upon as survivors of domestic violence they are looked upon as women who have immigration issues right and given the context of austerity and hostile environment it becomes extremely important um, that you know these women do not are not looked at from the lens of immigration but are looked at from the lens of being survivors of domestic you know of domestic violence um, so in our understanding a lot of these cases are not actually showing up because women are scared there is a there is an environment of fear because you know because of the ways in which immigration has been dealt with and the ways in which immigration continues to be dealt with on national television in the middle of the pandemic and the other fear was you know what if we get covid you know because a lot of the women do not have access to um you know do not have access to public fund and they only have access to primary care and of course icu care becomes secondary care yeah so we've been we've uh, and again you know we've been rallying very strongly to make sure that frontline workers actually know that these women actually have access to medical care if need be um so and also we've been really speaking about scraping uh, no recourse to public fund as a category completely uh, especially in covid times and also in post covid times because we feel that you know migrant women should have um access to public funds especially if they want to break away from you know it's like a double whammy because you're caught up in a situation you know you're caught up in a home with with abusers and just yesterday we were in a meeting where um you know what we were seeing is a lot of women were getting very mixed messages from local authorities you know because nobody wants to take responsibility of actually continuing to stay in um really compromised positions of safety uh only because uh, nobody knows what to do with them and that's something that we are saying you know simplify the referral process make you know make it easy for women to get access and also don't forget the migrant women when you are talking about survivors of domestic violence um because it becomes very easy it, as it is you know the race agenda has been over the years becoming quite um sidelined and i think that's something that we are talking about in this particular context you mentioned priti patel yeah i'm aware that just on the the basic issue of financial support to asylum seekers not necessarily those fleeing domestic abuse but but regular asylum seekers she said that there was actually no evidence to suggest that they were struggling to make ends meet Mm-hmm. Um, and that stood in direct contrast to the women's budget group who produced a report in May earlier this month saying yeah. that actually um asylum seekers refugees need more assistance during this time of pandemic just so they can access basic things like cleaning fluids or just just the things that people need to survive a crisis so i just wondered what your experience what your research is showing you or what your conversations with migrant women is is highlighting to you in terms of their needs their current needs as they live through this pandemic speaking about finances you know like we know all refugee and asylum seeking women live for, live on something like 35 pounds a week right um here we are speaking you know we are speaking about heightened 
sense of urgency, uh, people, women not having enough, you know. So uh, all of us went through this whole thing of uh, making sure we have food in our homes. So uh, at Safety for Sisters, people have had to, you know, give out, dish out money, give people extra money. And this should be the state's responsibility, actually. So it's well and good to speak about mental health. But doing the practical mental health work, even during the time of pandemic, requires a very different kind of, you know, access to technology, which me and you are able to afford and have, you know. Um, but a lot of the for a lot of these women, it's a it's an absolute luxury, right? So uh, not only you know have we had to provide extra money so that people have provisions. One of the things that came out of the meeting, we had a management meeting last night was uh, how difficult it is to manage, you know, even for support workers to manage the mental health needs. Colleagues of mine are working like frontline workers, you know, in very compromised economic conditions. I feel like, you know, colleagues of mine are constantly firefighting and are working like frontline workers, you know, managing the needs of migrant women right now. Yeah, and you've been talking about the psychological impact on the women that you've been working with. Yeah. I wonder um, if you have any thoughts about the impact it's having on activists like yourself, like ourselves, um, who are having to step in to fill the gap, actually, especially when you yourself are a migrant woman separated from your family and living through this time of pandemic. Yeah, I think... Um... I, you know, I think I'm a very privileged migrant woman and I'd have to, I'd, I'd like to put it out there that I am, you know, very middle class, very safe in my home. Also, I, you know, I have health conditions, which means that I've had to isolate myself, uh, which means that I'm nowhere out, you know, on um, doing any of this work myself. A lot of my colleagues have struggled with this whole idea of um, uh, home you know, your home becoming your workspace, there are no boundaries anymore. And especially when you're doing this kind of work, right, uh, where boundaries are extremely important. And I feel like activists have had to work in a situation where there are extremely no boundaries, you know, picking up calls on weekends, picking up calls because there's too much distress, right? Uh, right from anxiety of or whether I have food, whether I have, you know, money on my phone, uh, whether I'm going to be deported, you know, whether, what if I get COVID? So there is a, you know, the heightened sense of anxiety. Um, also, you know, um, what we, we were talking about, uh, you know, again, this is, this has been, you know, this gray area, you know, are these women who are working on the front line in this way activists? Uh, are, are they care workers, you know? Because again, one needs to think about, you know, how we've been talking about health and safety of our colleagues, not only mental health, but also the fact that some of, some of our, our colleagues are going into this space. So what does it actually mean, right? So there's lots, there's lots of concerns. And you mentioned this idea of home and how we protect ourselves and our homes um, and our, our sort of private space, our activist space. But if we think about what we mean by home, as migrant women, what does home mean? What does it mean for you? What does it mean for them? I've always wondered about the question of home. And I think for me right now, the, the, the idea of home is suspended. I'm from India. My mom lives in India. I don't know when I'll be able to see her next. I don't like to not have a plan to see my mom, 
right? And I feel like, um, you know, um, I've had to completely let go of control. And I've, and I've always wondered, you know, but these guys have, have no control over anything. So how does, you know, so the idea of home is completely, completely suspended. What was interesting was that, you know, WAST as an organization became home for them only because of the kind of support, you know, this smaller firefighting activist, you know, organizations are providing in the city and, you know, the drop-ins that were organized uh, by WAST, which is Women Asylum Seekers Together or Safety for Sisters, you know, gave these women the sense of home. And I think what is scary during this time is that that space is not available. That space has now become virtual, right? Um, and not everybody has the has the wherewithal to access that virtual space. Also, not everybody has the patience to be in that uh, in that space because not everybody is feeling the same way, including myself. We are putting the pressure on ourselves because you know we are all trained into this neoliberal idea of productivity, but we have to understand that that is all suspended. And for women who do not have access to um, you know um, a sense of home you know, because that sense of home is suspended, things get really worse. So I think it is important for us all to recognize the impact this pandemic is having on us all. But yeah. one important, you've made many important points, but one really important point is that sense of community be yeah. coming home. And I suppose during this time of physical distancing, we need to think about how we best support each other, even in a virtual space, in yeah. order to still create that sense of belonging that yeah. home gives to us. Yeah. So I think that's um, a really important point to end on. Um, also to recognize that we need space to step away from the screen and not be hooked yeah. all the time in Zoom conversations. Yeah because taking care of our own mental well-being so we're better able to support others is also crucial. Yeah. So thank you very much um, Dr. Rubina Jasani, for the time that you've given us this morning and all the best in your activism and your academic work. Mm -hmm.